I'd like to thank the patrons of this podcast. Patrons are folks who believe in this podcast and my mission and really support what I'm doing so that I can continue doing it. They make a monthly contribution through Patreon, a platform where you sign up to contribute at whatever level you're comfortable with, and you get some interesting rewards like my ebook, discounts on FUMS merchandise, and behind-the-scenes goodies. If you'd like to be part of that community and help this podcast to continue, please go to FUMSnow.com forward slash support. And thanks in advance. Quick shout out to Steve Woodward at podcastingeditor.com for the fantastic work on this podcast, including editing, show notes, and ingenious ideas. If you'd like help with your podcast, whether you're just starting out or an old pro, visit podcastingeditor.com and tell Steve I sent you. Welcome to the FUMS Now podcast show, where you'll gain information, inspiration, and motivation for living your best life with multiple sclerosis. Find us online at FUMSnow.com. I'm your host, Kathy Reagan Young. My guest today is Kim Kid Curry, a former radio DJ and executive who worked in high-profile positions in some of the hottest radio markets, often rubbing elbows with big-name musical entertainers like Gloria Estefan, Snoop Dogg, and Jay-Z. He was living la vida loca in Miami when MS showed up. He detailed his radio career and his challenges with MS in his new book called Come Get Me, Mother, I'm Through. And he's here today to tell us all about it. Let's go meet him. Hey, Kim. Thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for doing it. I've been looking forward to this particular podcast. Oh, me too. Yes. Me too. I just loved your book. I can't wait to <laughs> Thank dive you. into it. So, but before we get there, uh, if you would, please just tell everybody a little bit about yourself prior to your MS diagnosis, which is so interesting. Okay. I played 33 years in broadcasting. My dad was a news guy and the only radio station in my hometown. And he <laughs> got me a job when I was 17 years old. And um, started in the radio broadcasting business back then. Um, went to college at the Southern Colorado State College for a couple of years and then got my first full-time job. Ended up 33 years, 25 of those 33 years, I was in Miami, Florida. I bounced around to San Antonio, Texas, Knoxville, Tennessee, Washington, D.C., and Baltimore. Mm -hmm. But I spent, uh, is that where you are in D.C.? No, that's where I grew up. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm in Southern Virginia now, but I, I see. Okay. Uh, but I spent 25 years uh, of the 33 in Miami. When I got there, I was the new kid on the block. In fact, new kid in town by the Eagles had just come out. So they kept playing that song. And then, uh, <laughs> and you and then were the 25, kid. <laughs> I was the kid. That's right. Yeah. Kid Curry, my radio name. So, um, so then uh, the last nine years, I was the program director of Power 96, which was the original station I went to work for 25 years prior in a different form, a different uh, legal form, because it had some legal problems. Mm -hmm. But I ended up uh, being able to run the radio station. We had the most success in the entire run of the radio station's history. Um, and then I got diagnosed with multiple and sclerosis. And then, bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Everything changed. Yeah. So... At this point, you're the successful radio guy, you're happily married, and you start noticing some disturbing what turn out to be neurological issues. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Kathy, you know, some of those things appeared in my life that I yeah. didn't know what they were. Right. Um, specifically, 
the one that, that sticks out that I'm going to bring up right now was when I was in Washington, D.C. I was on Wash FM and I was on the radio at night on Wash FM. And at the end of my radio show, I had a feature called Bed Check. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in the markets I'd been in prior, it was always a high school feature, a junior high feature where the little kids would call in and make jokes about their school classmates or their teachers or their brothers and sisters. But in D.C., it got a very political slant. <laughs> Imagine uh, that. Yeah. Gee, surprise, <laughs> surprise. And one, I, this caller kept calling and saying, hey, it's me, Frank DeFramer. I'm over here at the White House. And I kept thinking, yeah, sure. So I thought it was mm-hmm. a joke. And then one night he said, uh, the president was just in my office listening to the bed check. And I was like, what? So I finally got him off the phone one day and I said, listen, who are you? What is this? He said, well, my name, Frank DeFramer. I am the actual framer of portraits at the White House. <laughs> And uh, the president comes down to my office sometimes, and he just happened to be here listening to the bed check the other day, and he thought you were funny. Because cool. he, he's, of course, is an old radio guy. Uh, wait, which which president? And president Reagan, I'm sorry. Okay, All the way back to okay. uh, 19, I guess. It would have been 80-something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but uh, so President Reagan... Uh, at one time, even invited me to one of his inauguration parties. But never mind. Let me get off the get off the subject here. Um, so, so a friend of mine wanted to take wanted to take their grandmother on a tour of the White House, and the grandma said, "Well, if you know somebody over there, you got to get me in there." So I called my friend Frank DeFramer, and he says, "Listen, man, you just go ahead when you come on in. Just tell him that uh, you're here for Frank DeFramer, your kid Curry. They'll know you're coming." So yeah. when I got there, now this was just after the assassination attempt on President Reagan. They'd made a few changes at the entrance to the White House, but not necessarily anything one would recognize. Right. And not like now. Not like now. <laughs> um, so, but there was a road I saw that went, look, it goes right up to the side door. I'll go that way. I and so as I road. started going that way, um, they started coming at me. I mean, you could see guns coming and people walking up towards my car. And I start to have an adrenaline rush. And as I start to slow the car down to stop it, I go to put it in park and my shoulder gives me a real intense pain. And then I lose vision in my right eye. Mm -hmm. And so when I go to get out of the car, my legs didn't work. So I just come rolling out of the car and there's oh, these service guys are pointing guns at me. And I'm like, I'm here for Frank DeFramer. I'm Kid Curry. I'm here. For, and they're like, oh, kid. Sorry. Hey, how you doing? We got you all covered. Do you need a wheelchair? Um, <laughs> I had a grandma on the back seat and they're asking right. me if I need a wheelchair. Right. So, but, but that was an exacerbation. I didn't know what yeah. it was. It just right. because we know that stress can yeah. kick off exacerbations. I didn't know what it was. Oh, and you so, found it stressful that people were running at you with guns? Huh. Not in the least. <laughs> well, little things like that happen a few times. I happened once in Washington, D.C., in uh, New York City, too. But in this particular case, around 2004, I was at home, uh, left Miami on a vacation to come home for Christmas to see my mom, brought my whole family out here. And it's when the tsunami hit. Mm. Now, if you remember, it was devastating. And we were yes, seeing it on God. TV for the first time because we've never seen a tsunami, but right. we could see it. And my poor mother was devastated. She didn't know what was going on. She didn't even know what the word meant. So yeah. uh, it was an intense time for that week I was home. And when I left, she said, you know, you don't look right. Uh, <laughs> you don't look like you can even walk straight. Your face looks different. And I just told her, I said, Mom, I'm under stress because yeah. my job is intense. Plus, we just went through this. You just right. saw me because I'm stressed out over the tsunami. I'm okay. Mm. About a month Mama later, knows. 
Mama knows. Mama knows. Mm -hmm. But about a month later, I was over at my, you know, I lived on Don Shula's golf course, the late coach who just passed away recently. He has mm -hmm. a golf course there and the houses around it. And I lived on the seventh hole of the golf course. I, when I moved there, I, I, I wanted to play golf all my life. But for a couple of years, I finally got to take lessons. And I was good enough to where I could play with people. And I would get up every morning by six o'clock and I'd be on the golf course for an hour and a half playing nine holes before I went to work because in Florida, you can do that. Right. Uh, one morning I took a swing and I felt something just in my back, just give me this electrical shock. And as mm -hmm. you know, the lesions appear in the spine. Um, and that led me surprisingly enough to a chiropractor. I thought, you know, I've just got something. I just need my back adjusted. And right. the chiropractor took a few minutes with me and said, there's nothing I can do for you. There's something else. Look at your mm. feet. Your toes are curling. Something's wow. going on. And she's the one who sent me to a neurologist, That's actually to great. my doctor. And then my doctor sent me to a neurologist, mm -hmm. which began the process. And we right. all know what that's like. So, yeah, good times, good times. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm just going to hop forward then yes, to you getting diagnosed. I was so surprised at the story you shared of what was uh, most likely that first MS flare. Um, let me talk about that for a minute because you were in New York City for meetings and had that horrible uh, leg and foot cramping and hot and cold flashes and vision issues and you could hardly get out of bed. Here's what shocked me about that. You flew home to Miami and you went to bed, but you didn't go to the doctor. I was so intrigued by that reaction. Um, have you have you, do you think that was, were you in denial? Were you scared or you just didn't think it was that big of a deal? Or, I mean, that I was just, a huge deal. Well, I, I thought I had a cold because remember there oh was, my God. What, what you're talking about actually happened between my mother and then the golf game. I was in New York city and that's when that happened. I yeah. still didn't know what was happening. Right. I just thought I had the flu, you know, oh my God. I, I thought, thought I, had I had the flu really for my first flare too, but I didn't have all of, wow, that was, I just had to ask was, because that's major. And I just thought, I think, I think I would have gone to the doctor, but maybe not. But it was, it was the golf thing. It was the <laughs> golf me. one that, right. I had to protect the golf it's, game. What's oh, wrong with my golf game? <laughs> I know all about that. My husband's a golf pro, so I, I know all about golf. it. <laughs> the dedication. Um, yes, so you get diagnosed and actually you got the news, <laughs> this is crazy, during a business meeting on a call from your doctor and you told all the people there first of all that's a hell of a phone call to get <laughs> and, yeah. and it, it seems you never even considered keeping it quiet which is intriguing to me because I I didn't either but I get this question all the time should I share shouldn't I share how much should I share yada yada and it seems you took the call I don't know were you in shock and just came back in and told everybody have you ever regretted that well I can tell you that you're right. You know, that is something a lot of people address. Um, and, and it was a shocking call to take yeah. uh, at a business meeting. And right. but I knew it was coming. I told the doctor to go ahead and give me a call. I just walked off into a room and and took the call, then came back out and just blurted it out. But I was in a place in my company and I was doing so well. I wasn't afraid. I, I yeah. knew that they would figure out how to keep me. And they tried to keep me. Because uh, remember, that was a Friday. Over the weekend, my wife and I, my wife did the night, uh, 2005 version of Google to try to figure out what was actually going on. Yeah. And uh, she, we didn't like what we were at all weekend long. Yeah. We could see that there, because now I could start going, well, wait a minute, that happened to me a couple of years right. ago. Well, wait yeah. a minute, 
This yeah. has been happening for a while. Wait a minute. Right. So over the weekend, we could see that there was a problem. That's why I went in 48 hours after I found out and said, see ya. You guys yeah. got to figure this out. I'm out of here. Right. And yeah. They tried to keep me on. But, um, yeah. Uh, so that's the next question I had for you, because that was it. You're an intriguing dude all the way around to me, but <laughs> you immediately decided upon your diagnosis to quit your job, sell your dream home in Miami and move to Colorado where you grew up. It seemed to me so fast. It made me feel like I am really indecisive, which sometimes I can be, but um, you didn't even know what having MS meant at that time, other than the kind of Googling, and I'm using my air quotes now, that you had done. Do you wish you would have slowed down a bit or just lived with it for a time before making, you know, those major life decisions like giving up your life's work? I think we have to deal with where we are at the time and the progression to me seemed awfully quick. Yeah, And it seemed to me that, you know, Dr. Calagua, my first MS, the one who actually diagnosed me, um, told me, you need to get ready because things are going to change for you dramatically. Mm, And I have faith in my doctor. Yeah. I just decided I'm done. And fortunately, you know, financially, I could just go back. Right. And, um, you know, and, and. you know, it, it's just, it just was going to be done. And my wife and I decided it was time to go take care of me. You know, she, right. uh, this thing that I did in broadcasting, whether or not anybody believes it or not, it can be very stressful. Uh, oh, being yeah. on the radio, even four hours a day, which is what I did a primary amount of my time on the radio for 33 years. But when you're the program director and I had a reputation in Miami because it was the most listened to radio station in the Southeast USA for longer than when I was there, but mm-hmm. we'd had more success while I was there. So I thought about every minute of that radio station. And my wife right. knew that I had to get away or I'd never be able to shut it off. And it yeah. took me years to slow right. down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Back to that stress thing. Yeah. So I shared with you, my husband is a golf pro. So I yes, was so ma'am. interested to read about the golf throughout this book and how much of a love it was of yours, how much time you dedicated to it and you seem to so enjoy it. I'm so sorry it became more of a struggle than it was fun for you. I'm sure you missed that. Have you replaced well, that now with cooking? <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> well, you know, I, I want to get back out on the golf course someday. Yeah. And good. You know, what's happened is, you know, my legs are such that they don't work, uh, except for they're seizing right now because we're oh, talking and the adrenaline's running. Sure. My legs are sticking straight out. But in America, we have designed a golf cart for handicapped disabled people like me mm-hmm. that just basically this, the, the, the seat, there's two seats in the golf court. You've been in one. Mm-hmm. The, the, the passenger seat turns and, and turns to the side and then it comes up a little bit and you're basically swinging from a sitting position. Mm. In, in Germany, they have devised a golf cart that wraps around you and actually stands you up all by oh, itself. Wow. And you have your little golf clubs here and, and it stands you up and you can take a swing supported totally from standing up position. Mm. Um, I've been trying for the last five years. <laughs> I told the guy I would, here's what they do. The, the, I don't even, I can't even, because it's lost my, I forgot the name, but they go to uh, 
handicap hospitals around brain hospitals around America, like in mm-hmm. our hospital, Craig Hospital here in Denver. Mm-hmm. They have one of these golf carts and they encourage veterans, the disabled veterans to come and play. Well, I'm not a disabled veteran and I feel right. funny even going to them and saying, hey, I just want to go play golf. Right, you know? right, right, right. But, so I know these golf carts are out there. They exist. Uh, they are But they're only at specific locations in America. And um, I'm determined. In fact, my wife just got some of her clients on the deal. Uh, Someday I'm going to get somebody to to import one of these from Europe for me, and I'm going to get back on the golf course someday. Oh, I have no question that whatever you say you're going to do, reading this book (laughs) was really inspirational to see how you just kind of took whatever... I don't know, blockade came in your way and you you and your wife just kind of together went, okay, well, now what do we need to do and and do it? It's really, it's really inspirational. And so I'm confident you'll be playing again. Well, confident. you know, when you say that, I think a lot of what goes on in my head is, is I don't have MS. In my brain, I'm trying not to think about it. In fact, Amen. I'm going to try to try to give you the, the synopsis of what happened to me. Um, you know, for the 10 years, 11 years, I had really terrible, bad MS. Mm-hmm. I was going down bad. My legs, my shoulders, everything was going down. Uh, but it, when I first got diagnosed in 2005, there were only five MS drugs. But there were more came along the line. And then Copaxone, my doctor moved me from Rebif to Copaxone. Yeah. Rebif really caused those welts under my skin. They're still there, you know, and Copaxone, you know, so I did that. I changed the medicine, Mm -hmm. but, but my doctor, he's Mm -hmm. the kind of guy that doesn't do anything unless he's got scientific proof for six Mm -hmm. months. He harassed me. You've got to start taking (laughs) vitamin D. You got to start taking vitamin D. Copaxone and vitamin D. You've got to start start doing that Mm -hmm. now. And I fought him because I'm of the generation that saw vitamin C was supposed to take care of your colds, and that's not been proven. So I never mm-hmm. thought a vitamin would change anything. But my wife finally convinced me after six months of being harassed, and I started taking massive amounts of vitamin D. At that point, my condition leveled off. And mm. it took a few months, but well, actually about six months after taking the vitamin D, I had my doctor appointment. And I said, you know, doctor, it seems to me that that things are leveling. I don't feel like I'm going down as much. So a year after that, my doctor said, you need to get your brain working right now. Let's get, because I was having the same problems MS patients have. You could hardly hear me. Mm. My voice was so intermittent, Mm -hmm. but he said, you've got to start rewiring your brain. And I, of course, I believe that. So I started working really hard and, and, and doing brain games. But then I, I switched my life over from being a radio DJ to becoming a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I wanted to tell my story. I wanted to tell the story about what happened to me and how my wife and I attacked this and how we've come out on top and, and how we're, we're, we're still, I'm still sick. Every now and then I'll have an exacerbation. Uh, my shoulders always bad. My eyes fail, mm-hmm. but I don't think I've got this. I'm going forward here. Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to write this book in the first place. I love that. So it was it, it was kind of a transaction transition that 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 when I finally leveled off and I could finally see the progression that maybe I could fix this. So I believe I've rewired some of my brain. My Very voice cool. is not as bad as it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my eyes still suffers, but not as much as it did. Um, so I don't know. You know, and and I go to meetings with men over fifty who have MS, and I mm-hmm. see 
them who've been taking their medicine, some of them for years and have never gotten the satisfaction I've gotten. Mm-hmm. And some of them even said, you know, I'm not going to take medicine anymore. And then they don't come back to the meeting. Mm, I just, yeah. I hate seeing that, but I've been so yeah. lucky. I feel almost um, embarrassed. <laughs> Because I'm not as bad as I was. Right. No, I get that. I get that. I feel like that too. I, I wrote an article about, um, um, you know, survivorship, basically, and 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 feeling that guilt of, you know, why am I doing better than others? Like, do I deserve that? There's all of that psychological stuff that plays in there that can really get to you. I just had a conversation yesterday about, um, I always call myself Cleopatra, queen of denial, but it works for me. You know, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, I have MS. I mean, I just try not to make it a focal point. I try to just deny it. I really tr- truly try well, and I don't think, I try not to think about it. Although I must say, this is what I do. This is my joke. I'm a patient advocate. So I do this all day, every day, but it's funny how I separate myself almost, you know, like I'm trying to help people who are dealing with this. And obviously I know that I have it, but I don't know. I just don't make it a focal point in my life. I've, I've heard that some scientists talk about the resilience yes. of the brain and the resilience of attitude. Yeah. And I am confident. In fact, you know, I'm, I brag about my wife, but, you know, since the book, since you read my book, my wife has become a full-time business coach now. She works at seven o'clock in the morning until four o'clock every afternoon. And every 30 minutes, she's got a new client from somewhere around the Good world. Gracious. And, 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 she, and she has their um, her profit loss. She has their financials. She, pre, in fact, you know, when the pandemic blew up, uh, the, it was on a Friday when the president shut down America. On Monday, my wife was already having corporate meetings trying to remind everybody that now as a business coach, you've got to get people ready for when this is starts again because we're right. going to be down for a while. But you need to get your businesses ready. Mm-hmm. So I've got a very positive wife, a wife who yeah. sits there and tells people, regardless of what's happening out there, we've got to get these businesses under control. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I mean, she's her clients are all successful. And yeah. if you do what she tells you, she she tells them to have six months of reserve funds. Right. So nobody got hurt here. So it, Yeah, it's, and you're surrounded by positivity. All the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, key, probably. Yes, Me too. We're lucky people. <laughs> Our caregivers are the caregivers are so vital and oh, my mind is superior. So that's my, oh my god. I just have to say the love that dripped off the pages of this book for your wife was so touching. I had to think if I was your wife reading that, I would be crying as I turned these pages. It is so sweet. You're so proud of her and you're so in love with her. It's just, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I'm proud to the point to where, you know, I knew that what in my mind was I was going to die. I could Mm -hmm. very well die from this. And I wanted my wife to, to succeed. Mm -hmm. I wanted her to be ready in case. Yeah. So she started her own life with just doing some dabbling in real estate, but then had huge success. And now she yeah. coaches real estate people from around the world right. on how to do the job. So, well, that was really neat. I loved that part. I loved a lot of parts of your book, but that well, that love leapt off the pages for sure. That was really neat. Um, so you made some really interesting observations about our healthcare system in this country in your book. And you, in fact, said quote, it costs a lot to be disabled in America. 
And I want to give you an opportunity to share what you mean by that and what you'd like people listening to take away from this. Well, you know, for those of us who deal with this every day and we realize the reality, um, yeah, your insurance is going to give you a wheelchair for your house. And if you are like me and your legs don't work, you're going to need a motorized wheelchair. But if I need to leave this house, I need to figure out how to get this chair into a car or onto a ramp to get it uh, onto the side of the car. And that stuff costs money. That doesn't, Mm -hmm. you don't pay for that. That all comes out of your pocket. Um, And, and, you know, I have, I have to have a motorized wheelchair, my wife and I had to make a decision. Either we get a bigger vehicle to take the wheelchair in, or we get you a manual wheelchair. And so I have manual wheelchair for the car. I can Mm -hmm. zoom up to the car get in it and then reach around and get my wheelchair and, keep going. But that all costs money. And that was a $5,000 wheelchair. Just, just the one in the car is a $5,000 wheelchair. Right. Um, And it's like, you know, if you want to, you know, my wife (laughs) affords me for, with all luxuries, I get to drive. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've, I've been driving uh, with no legs. Uh, You know, I have hand controls in my car, but you know, those cost money. Uh, In my state, you have to be, you have to find someone who will teach you how to go through their lessons, be certified by them. Then you have to go to the state to get certified. Uh, And that was a real joke. I think I think I brought that up in the book. Mm -hmm. I mean, you did, Mm -hmm. you know, I went to, I lived in a very small town in Colorado here at the time. And I went to them to get certified for, for hand controls. And they, well, we don't uh, test for that here. You need to go over to Pueblo, which is 30 miles away. Mm. So I went over there the first day and I rolled up and was ready to get certified. And they looked at me like I was nuts. Well, we'll we'll have to get somebody certified to get you certified. So you got to come back in a week. So I came back a week later and they didn't have anybody yet. And I had to drive 60 miles round trip. Right. So there's two trips. So then the third time I go, and, you know, I, I, I get there and uh, there's finally someone who can who can test me. And uh, I, I roll out to my car and I put my wheelchair away and I get in my car and and the lady gets in my car and I had the radio on an oldie station, which I used to be the boss of. <laughs> and she reached over. I, I reached over to turn it down. She says, oh, no, no, that's my uncle. Leave it on. And I said, oh, your <laughs> uncle. You, well, that's I, he used to work for me. And she's like, you're kidding. <laughs> give me that piece of paper. And she signed it oh. I had at the parking lot. And so I had gone through <laughs> six weeks of abuse, having to go by, yeah, back right. and forth, had to travel 70 miles, three times, four times, I'm sorry, to do the testing on the, to get the hand controls in the first place. And then three times to get tested. And then I didn't even have to go out the parking lot. She knew that, Hey, right. You know, okay. So here, let me sign that. Oh, <laughs> so, man. You know, let's just go driving around a little bit, please. Right. <laughs> Show you that I really do know Come how to on, do this. I know how to use these things, <laughs> but that all costs money, you know, and, and, yes. so, and, 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 I'm and the medication. You, oh, medication. Oh my right. Lord. And, and the doctor and, visits. Oh yes. And, ma'am. and, 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 and. Yeah, but, you know, and and I've got ramps into my house. I've got, uh, I have an elevator that gets me into the second floor. My wife had to get an elevator installed. So mm-hmm. all of these things cost money, right? And it it does cost to be disabled in America, or you'll sit in your house, <laughs> right? And that's not fair. No, you know, so. that's not right. I totally agree. And then you got so lucky. As I was reading this, I really did get angst about when you were going to just leave your job. And I thought, oh my God, he doesn't know all of these expenses that are going to be coming his way. And he's just leaving. You got so lucky with having, you didn't even know you signed up for long-term. 
you know what? Interest. That's <laughs> crazy. But I'm how lucky. Yes. Phyllis oh Poulos, our office manager, you know, running a radio station the size of Power 96 at that time, I'm telling you, it was not funny, but it was great. I loved it, but it's high <laughs> power all the time. And yeah. she would often, my office manager would often come in my office and throw papers down and say, sign this and sign mm-hmm. this. And one time she had come in and put a piece of paper on my and I signed it and it was long-term health care. Oh, and I God had no Phyllis. fact, I, I resigned before I even knew I know, that that's, I had this. I'm telling that's, you, I was worried as I'm <laughs> turning those pages thinking, shit, he does not know what's coming his way. He can't just I, I quit. I had no clue. So, but yeah. I was leaving. I was going to go home no right. matter what. I needed to run home to mom. But then, of course, you know, this long-term thing came out and and, you know, fortunately, it's taken very good care of us. And uh, yes. And now that my wife, and, and that ends, by the way, that ended when I turned 65. But mm. now my wife has got such a role going with right. what she does. You know, we're not, we're, we're yeah. doing very well. I'm, I'm That's very, awesome. Very lucky. But to, to the point of healthcare issues yes, in the ma'am. U.S., yes, lots of people aren't in that situation. And lots of people are, oh. you know. Lose it's, their job and don't have any. Especially right gun. now. I mean, yes. I don't know. But there has got to be oh, so many people with big pits in their stomach, not knowing what to do. And right. And um, unfortunately, yeah. I'm I'm saddened by the leadership and uh, yeah. it's a whole other topic. Never mind. It is, but we can say, vote, 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 all the vote, time. Vote, Please do vote. It. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Educate yourself and vote. I mean, in fact, you no, know, I did a, I did a. Um, uh, on, on my website, not that it matters. I, I did a uh, 2020 commencement speech that I mm-hmm. that I'd written out, and then I actually did it live on Facebook. Uh-huh. Um, but the whole point is um, for young people to get involved because what they are doing is they're eating off the plate that was given to them by their parents, grandparents, right. and great grandparents because young people don't vote. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're living this life today because they haven't been involved. They need to get involved, and now that I think we've got this. You're not just seeing black people riot or, right. or protest. Uh, you're right. seeing all sorts of colors, and they're all yes. young. Yes. And I'm hoping that Hallelujah. now is going to be a turning point to where we get young people involved. To to because if their parents cared about them, uh, they would have done something about climate change. Have your parents mm-hmm. done anything about climate change? I was at mm-hmm. the first uh, Earth Day in 1972. We yelled about it back then, and no yeah. one's done a thing. So right. it's pretty evident we're in trouble here. You, that you, which has been done has recently been undone. Yes, But that's a whole nother episode. A whole nother, <laughs> yes, but the bottom line is vote, vote, vote. It's vote, our responsibility vote, vote. and our um, our right. So in fact, when it. I'm finished here, I've got to vote because we do mail-in ballots here. We have a primary that I've got to get uh, voted, uh, mail in my ballot here sometime this next couple of days. So. Excellent. Good, good, good. Yeah, we've got primaries coming up here on the 23rd, too. And you can I'm do excited. mail-in ballots, by the way. The mail-in ballots work, okay? They do. They and do. And mm-hmm. there really is uh, no proven fraud, so I'm just going to leave it there. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I'm sorry we keep doing that, but never mind. I know. I know. Um, so, Kim, I really enjoyed reading your book and learning more about, you know, a fellow MSer. And I've enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. And if people want to ask any questions or just reach out to you, or, I mean, I've been watching your Facebook lives, by the way, which are really enjoyable. Um, (laughs) But where do they find you? Give me all of the places they can find you. All right. My Facebook page is just under Kim Curry, uh, K-I-M-C-U-R-R-Y. I I have a website, krcurry.com. 
And that's where I put my blogs and have information on my books and things like that. And, and I've been really adamant about my blogs lately. I, you know, about a month before George Floyd was killed in front of us on national television, I started reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't know if you had to read that or if you remember oh, what yes. the book is all about. Man, I was an English you. major, so I yes. read it oh, all. Good, 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 <laughs> good. And then I just got finished with uh, Go Set a Watchman, uh, only to find oh. out that Go Set a Watchman was the first thing first she one. wrote. Yeah, isn't that I crazy? believe it. Because I, no, uh, I had read both of them and I thought, well, that was interesting how she brought that paragraph from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird Back. and put it into Go Set a Watchman. <laughs> yeah. I thought, as a writer, I'm stealing that idea. Yeah, right. That was genius. And then I read it, I come to find out it was the other way around. She took it from right. the first paragraph for the second. second. Oh, so yeah. awesome though. I, I loved it. So anyway, krcurry.com. That's where you can find me on my Facebook at Kim Curry or K.R. Curry, the author is another one at Facebook too. Excellent. Excellent. Thank well, thank you again. And finally, we here in the FUMS Nation speak to this stupid disease as it deserves to be spoken to. And we tell it FUMS every day. Would you please lead us in our salute to MS with <laughs> middle finger extended, of course, ready? On three. One, two, three. <laughs> FUMS. I can do it both ways because I'm it, bilingual. Do it. Do it. Do it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Appreciate I love it. You, Kathy. Thank you for your time, man. Appreciate Take it. Take care. Thanks, everybody. I really appreciate you listening to the FUMS podcast show. Be sure to subscribe to it so you won't miss an episode. You can do that right on the website at FUMSnow.com. While you're there, sign up for the free email list so you'll be among the first to know of any new findings in MS research, new therapies and products, as well as any blog posts and podcast episodes I release. Want to chat with others in the FUMS community? Join us on Facebook at FUMS Now. Thanks again, and don't forget to talk to the stupid disease as it deserves. Tell it FUMS every day.